0: The Incomparable, number 221, November 2014.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and we're here, as we like to do every year, to wrap up the latest season of Doctor Who. And joining me to talk about it are people who know a little bit about Doctor Who, have talked about it a little bit in the past on this or other podcasts. I will introduce them to you now. Glenn Fleischman, sign in, please. Ahoy, hoy, Jason. Pleasure to be here. David J. Lohr, hello. Howdy-do. Dan Morin, you're here. It's good to have you. I, it's a pleasure, as always. And Erica Ensign, who is on many podcast related to doctor who i'm glad that you're gracing ours too
2: oh uh, shucks i'm happy to be here
1: we think of you as a member of our family in general and that that you're doctor who you also have that other doctor who profession and uh, there's the one <laughs> five podcast you got a lot going on it's always nice to talk about doctor mm-hmm. Who with you here it's a little special treat yeah
2: I'll pretty much talk about Doctor Who any, any time. time. Yeah. So. Sometimes we
1: talk about novels and Doctor Who comes up. We talk about movies and Doctor <laughs> Who comes up. It's funny how that happens. <laughs> I don't know how that hmm. happens. Yeah, it's strange. Uh, okay, so Doctor Who Series 8, uh, we should say up front that uh, you may not know, if you're just listening to the Incomparable podcast, that we, on one of our spinoffs, the TV podcast, we actually did a wrap-up of every single episode of the season. There are 12 episodes where, immediately following the airing of the episode, we got on the Skype and did an episode talking about it. So if you were interested in, in uh, an episode-by-episode guide and you haven't listened to those yet, uh, go back and check it out the the e e v e e and they're all there um but we should start so this is peter capaldi's first season as uh, as the doctor and i think uh i think we perhaps should uh, recap the season so i was going to go through the episodes one by one and just get a little quick take on it from everybody Uh, Again, referencing the fact that we have whole podcasts about each one of these, if you really want to listen to a a, a sort of semi-random assortment. It's a random Doctor Who. It's a little like another random podcast about another franchise. Uh, Deep Breath was the the opening. Think back to August, the the first episode written by Stephen Moffat. This is the one where we got to meet the newly regenerated Peter Capaldi, 12th Doctor, and Uh, there was also a dinosaur and there was a skin balloon. Briefly briefly, dinosaur. Dad (laughs) said, sad, actually a sad death of a dinosaur. I I felt really bad about the dinosaur that he, that was a, a nice moment where Peter Capaldi gets kind of mad because he's going to, I'm going to save you. And then the dinosaur, uh, catches on fire. (laughs) Awkward. (laughs) But, um, but this, and then, and then there's this weird subplot with the skin balloon and, uh, And uh, what we discover is it's the clockwork droids from The Girl in the Fireplace... An episode that some of us like, and Erica doesn't. Some of us don't. <laughs> <laughs> and, right. uh, and 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 you know, the, it, and it was oversized. It was like an hour long. So um, thoughts about about deep breath. Now some of us were on a podcast where we talked about deep breath. Erica was on a, a different podcast. Where we <laughs> deep I
0: I want to footnote something. I want to do a callback <laughs> in the future about the robot when we get to the end of this season and talk about it. Okay. The guy with the clockwork head. We're going to talk about him later.
1: Right. The half-faced man. Okay. It was I,
0: yeah. I had I had problems with the episode because I felt like it was a pastiche, uh, as we talked about at the time. But um, but it was a very strong opening. It was, uh, stylistically, thematically strong, and they certainly had a through line. Everything they brought up, the whole kind of approach, the mise en scene, everything they did in the first episode really did play out. It really did set the stage in a way that I think when I go back and look at it now, it'll probably irritate me less because I'm informed <laughs> by the rest of the season and that they fulfilled the promise that I didn't feel was entirely in that episode.
2: I just really, really liked it. I know a lot of people had trouble, sort of. <laughs> as usual, <laughs> Glenn, Glenn David, and I just stand agree. back.
0: You and I. i done.
2: <laughs> we are the yin I'm, and the yang yeah. of Doctor Who fandom.
0: You guys, yeah. It's
3: yeah. good. I was in the middle. I mostly liked it. How about that?
1: Well, and, and, and the uh, fulcrum. i better you, Dan, than fifty percent. I'm with you in the 60 middle, sixty to seventy five. Yeah, I, I liked all the. I liked like the character bits, and um, the the plot itself seemed like it wasn't that that interesting.
2: I think that's. I don't. I usually don't watch for plot. I'm usually watching for character stuff mm. more these days. So that's probably why I liked it. But still, I can't think of anything that I would have cut out. I was I was on the edge of my seat the whole time.
1: I I think I want to pick up on something Glenn said there, because I do think this is a really relevant thing throughout this whole season, which is, in hindsight, it is very clear that there was a plan, and the plan wasn't just an overarching plot. In fact, you could argue there is no overarching plot. There is a series of little sprinkled-in scenes that remind you that there's going to be a finale, which I'm not a big fan of, actually, but uh, there is an overarching (laughs) theme of this season and and yes. discovering who the Doctor is and if he is a good man um, and and what his role is and is he a soldier or is he a commander of soldiers and all that. That starts with episode one and drives through the whole season. So what you get is uh, not really a story arc, but you get a character, a, arc. a character arc and a theme for the season. And that I really liked. I really liked the fact that this, this season... Obviously is about these issues and they're going to be explored in every episode.
2: I will point out I had actually forgotten about the Missy scenes,
4: yeah. which
2: I, I hate the Missy scenes, Good. but I've blocked them out. Yes. <laughs> so,
4: Well, and, and like Glenn, you know, going back and watching it after having seen the whole series, um, it does irritate me less, but it still irritates me. Um, but the, it's the character stuff that really worked for me. I, and and i mean i loved capaldi the minute his feet hit the ground running you know um i just didn't like anything about the story at all i had the lesbian exp-
0: exhibitionism
4: problem with that episode i was like
0: i was like you've already introduced the fact they're same sex and it just seemed like they're like huh huh two ladies
1: huh victorian huh and it was like come on all right, and, you know, and and yet on. you know there were newspaper articles about how that was that was a notable moment that there was a like a lesbian kiss in in Doctor Who um my wife had the had the point that she was bugged by the fact that um she doesn't like how Vastra treated Jenny that she treats and, and Jenny points it out right that this is part of the that relationship is is you know you treat me like the maid but you know that's supposed to be a front but you treat me like the maid and i said that and and Lauren's response was it doesn't matter she's I don't like I don't like Madame Bastard. I don't like that she treats Jenny that way, which I thought was interesting.
2: I like that it's not a perfect lesbian couple because, sure. it, cause oh, that yeah. wouldn't be realistic any more than anything else. So, so it, I I'm, I agree with Lauren that I was kind of like giving Madame Vaster the side eye there, but yeah. Jenny spoke up <laughs> for herself, and yeah. it is clearly a relationship dynamic that works for them. So, hey, more power to you.
1: Yeah, but uh, you know Capaldi, and this will be an overarching thing, and we'll talk about Peter Capaldi as we go, and I suspect at the end too, um, he he is at the center here, right? And I, I do feel like. And we said at the time when we did the TV podcast, I feel like the plot's kind of beside the point. I mean that that you can actually kind of wave aside the plot, other than the fact that that it takes up a lot of time. That I, I actually wanted more character bits and a little less of the plot bits. Believe it or not, um, that you know, it, it, they construct a balloon out of uh, out of skin, though. Blah. Not seems <laughs> unnecessary. No. Yeah, I mean, was- you know, it's effectively creepy and gross. If that's mm. what they were shooting for, they accomplished. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to a new uh, new Doctor Who where, where skin is used to make a balloon. That is that it was a message that carries through this season the welcome to a new Doctor Who and it's gonna do some things differently. <laughs> that is for sure. We're, pretty we're gonna do dark. things
0: to people's skin. Yeah.
1: yeah, this whole season is is Darker and uh, they're more de- character deaths. I think Stephen Moffat was kind of living down his everybody lives thing where yeah. he got he swerved away from killing people at the end so many different times. Oh, well, they're not really dead. That this season seemed to me to be his. Um, apology almost and say no 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 it was his
2: season 12 is what it was he was hearkening back to the robert holmes philip hinchcliffe era which was pretty much this dark i mean at one point the doctor hands a guy a gun so he can kill himself like that's a thing that happened on doctor who in the 70s yeah Yeah, so and then you hear the gunshot as soon as he leaves the room it's like "Hmm,
1: okay (laughs) that's right the doctor would never use a gun he would just except in all those episodes where he does he he would just (laughs) hand it to somebody
4: else sure he would have a soldier to do it
1: exactly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we should talk about Into the Dalek, which is uh, a co-written episode. Uh, Stephen Moffat and TV's Phil Ford. Um, this is the this is the Stephen Moffat and Phil Ford try to tell a different kind of Dalek story, right? Because we've seen so many different Dalek stories, and so in Into the Dalek, we get the fantastic voyage. Um, we're going to be shrunken down by a by a shrink ray. There is a shrink ray in this story, and put in inside a Dalek uh, what do we think of into the Dalek
4: I liked it that that was the first time this year where the plot really um, it seemed like it was going to go this way and this way and this way like you expect and and I, I mean I've said this on several TV episodes that this was the first one where it zigged when it was going to zag and it, it turned a trope upside down on me and I, I didn't see it coming and I liked that And that, again, seemed to be a theme and seemed to be part of the, hello, this is a new Doctor Who. I thought
3: it was, I thought, I don't know, the plot didn't do much for me, but I thought that the character moments were really nice, and we do have that moment that of the Doctor basically sacrificing someone to save a bunch of other people, Mm. which becomes a theme as we go along, and once again plays into that whole sort of overarching officer thing, um, which I thought was a good moment. And I enjoyed the callbacks with the Dalek in terms of you know the Doctor being viewed as a a good Dalek, which I think also sort of gets played to in the in the
0: overarching arc of the. Oh season. yeah, mm-hmm.
4: oh yeah, yeah.
0: I I enjoyed the fact that they really went for the cheesiness factor inside the Dalek and had like those big mm. expando accordion. <laughs> it was like there was no attempt to make it look precisely high tech. It was like you know boiler rooms, like being in a ship or maybe a Nickelodeon TV show (laughs) or something like Weird Green Goop and – Uh, press that button, just hit that thing, and that will reset the memory cells. And it was kind of nice. I think this comes up uh, later in the Time Heist episode, too, where if they actually truly revel in the cheesiness of what they're doing, it comes across better than if they try to pass it for real, right? It's almost metaphorical Mm. or irrelevant because you're just sort of enjoying the romp.
2: I really liked it because I I have a tendency to get bored with Dalek stories pretty quickly because (laughs) it tends to be the same story over and over and over Uh again. Uh, So I was... I was pretty excited that they managed to do something different that hadn't been done before. I mean, yes, in Doctor Who, they have, you know, shrunk themselves and they had the invisible enemy, but they never went inside a Dalek before. And I suppose, yes, you had the, you know, the Dalek and the Doctor being compared to each other, like in Dalek by Rob Shearman. But I just I, I thought the, the rearranging of all of the pieces worked really well for me. So I had a lot of fun with it. And like Dan said, the character moments were, were spot on. So enjoyable.
1: Well, and the good Dalek thing, I mean, that is the theme of this episode and people were kind of analyzing what he meant because it does sound like what happens in Rob Sherman's episode Dalek with Christopher Eccleston. <laughs> yep. the, the, the difference here is that he was uh, – that, that Dalek was, was saying you'd be a good Dalek. You'd like you, you would be an excellent Dalek. And here what, the, what, what Rusty, the Dalek, <laughs> like love that, uh, <laughs> says is essentially you're like us but good. Uh, which is a real, I mean, that's like kind of a blow. It's like, well, you don't want to be like a Dalek in any way, but that's what he's saying is, is you know, like me, because Rusty has turned around and realized that the right thing to do is exterminate the Daleks, that that's what the Doctor is, is he's like the the Daleks except good. And that is, I mean, talk about something that's going to make you ponder your own place in the universe that's being compared to a Dalek in any way, and that fits into the, the theme of the whole the whole series
2: well we haven't actually mentioned Clara and Danny yet oh yes Danny Pink which I, I was so on board with with Clara and Danny at the beginning I did not want a romance I was when I first realized that's the direction they were going I was angry and then I watched the two of them interact in deep breath and I was completely on board yep and it, it, then it kind of went downhill from there. I'm I'm sorry to say. But oh. I was I was pretty excited at first cuz there was chemistry and then
1: it went away. I like that the the, the this is the uh the failed the failed d- date, you know, pulling uh, pulling her away from the date that the doctor. Again, this is playing off one of the unique things about Clara, which is she is uh the doctor is her hobby, right? And he comes and gets her as opposed to your traditional companion who travels with him, she doesn't really travel with him, right? She gets picked up and taken on an adventure and then dropped off again. That's not the same. That's not a live-in relationship, right? She's a day-tripper yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and so and and, but that leads to wacky (laughs) i mean this is a little bit of Stephen moffat's coupling sitcom farcical kind of scripting it leads to many situations (laughs) where you've got a time machine and she's got a date and crazy things happen uh but i which i like actually um robot of sherwood (laughs) uh this uh yeah yeah this this is an episode that that uh I would say it's divisive, but God, they're always divisive. All the fans, everybody's got a different opinion about every episode of Doctor Who. This is a this was a super light. This is the one that, when it aired at the time, I said on Twitter, um, I can I can already guess exactly who doesn't like this episode and why they don't like it, because it's yeah. light and fun, and a lot of the technology stuff makes no sense at all. There was a core story with the sheriff was actually a relatively clever character, and it
0: reminded me there's a classic science fiction story in which aliens uh, land on a planet and they threaten to devour everybody, and this one guy sort of volunteers to cook everybody in the town slowly, and this cooks body parts and keeps everyone alive so he's celebrated as both a hero when they're liberated and not and I was thinking the sheriff sort of fits in that like aliens show up and he figured out how to subvert them to his own benefit in this case Uh, but he was more of he was actually kind of an interesting character and then that bit where like wait wait Aren't you an artificial life? No, no, wait. Oh, you're real. Wait, oh. what? You know, and I thought that was actually sort of. I was not expecting that.
1: E- Erica, by the way, my favorite uh, probably single line of the entire Doctor Who season in terms of uh, fan commentary was the title of the Verity episode about this, which is "Robot of Sure Wouldn't." <laughs> <laughs> Boom. No, there was there was a, there was a slash between
2: the wood and the apostrophe n t because some of us liked us and liked mm-hmm. it, and some of us didn't. Yes, I was I, I was firmly on the didn't side.
4: I remember when you tweeted, this is the episode that I I know exactly how people are going to react. And as soon as I read that, my first thought was Graham Chapman as the British Army Colonel going, this show is too silly. And um, I loved it. But it's a romp. It's, yeah, it's totally ridiculous.
1: Romp and ridiculous. And even more than like the Crimson Horror from last season. Which I also didn't like. (laughs) Also
4: Mark Gatiss.
3: Well, I got to say that. Among the silliness in this episode, it does have a lot of great moments. Again, great character moments, particularly the scene where uh, they're locked up in the prison cell and the Robin Hood and (laughs) the doctor go back and forth about who's got the better plan for escaping. Um, There's a lot of really good, you know, crotchety, crotchety doctor moments.
1: I like the fact that the doctor admits that he cheated and and people who nitpick yes. are like well how did that arrow blow up well i mean the whole thing was rigged it was a whole of, it was a fake
2: i hated that scene in the in the <laughs> oh my gosh where they tied to the chairs in the dungeons yes because the doctor was acting like a pouty petulant he was. little child and he i was. He was i don't like a baby I like it when the Doctor is childlike. I like it a lot less when the Doctor is childish. Every once in a while, it's okay. Mm. But this episode, he was just being a big baby from beginning to end. And I didn't like it. The scenes with, with Clara and the sheriff, I quite enjoyed. I thought those were good. Yeah. And weirdly enough, I think I would have liked this one if it had come the season before. Because it didn't feel like a Capaldi mm. episode yep. to me. Yep. It felt like a Matt Smith That's story true. that was just dropped yes. in.
0: Mm. I want to call attention to the thing that happens at the end of this episode. made Marion being returned as a gift, which I did not like. I have a gift. Here, it's a human being. She's but been standing also... behind the TARDIS
1: for the last <laughs> the 10 minutes time. while we talked. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't think this is one of the stronger episodes of the year, but I didn't. I, I would put it in the positive column only because I thought it was I thought it was light and fun. And this is a little bit like my argument for a lot of the Christmas episodes is they're trying to do a, a specific job, which is keep it light and fun and have spectacle on Christmas Day. And I felt Robot of Sherwood was kind of like that. If it
2: was on Christmas, I would have judged it on very different uh, criteria.
1: Yeah. See? Yeah, every day. Is <laughs> It's Christmas, Erica.
2: <laughs> Not in my heart.
1: All right, we're about to show we're divisive. See, what did I say? Divisive. <laughs> uh, Listen is next. One of my favorites. I watched. I watched Listen on a laptop in a hotel room, sitting next to Glenn. <laughs> you
0: and did. yet, I liked it. No, <laughs> I did. If I remember right, we watched it on two laptops.
1: Did we? Yes, synced. That's right. Synced up. One audio on and one audio off. Oh, yeah. Good times. Good Good times. times. (laughs) Uh, Listen, listen. uh, you know, interesting script. Um, We we get uh, young Danny Pink. We get Orson Pink, descendant of Danny Pink, uh, who's the stranded time traveler uh, at the end of the universe, back at the end of the universe. I wonder if he's uh, listening to radio signals from Utopia while he's out there. And, uh, and, does he still uh, exist? <laughs> and in the end, I don't know. And, and in the end, uh, there's a moment that it turns out to be it's actually in the barn on, oh, uh, from the 50th anniversary episode, which is related Gallifrey. to Gallifrey in some way. This is like the hinterlands of Gallifrey, then. But this is that that's the reveal of this episode is that the scared child who's afraid of the monster under her, under his bed is the doctor as a child, yeah. which is, uh, quite a thing so what are we disturbing what do we think of that this is also there are a lot of chalkboards and uh uh some very interesting script what do we think of listen
3: it's it's the it's the it's the imperative the stephen moffat imperatives episode don't blink listen Mm -hmm. don't eat breathe don't breathe i don't Mm
1: -hmm. don't breathe don't
4: perspire no don't put don't wear a shirt (laughs) i don't know don't don't stick beans in your ear don't wear glasses but yeah, I loved this just because it did take that, that moment because I've I've joked about that before, you know, don't breathe, don't blink, don't perspire, don't whatever. And it turned out there's no villain in this. Right. There's Boo. no oh. uh, you know. or is th- or oh. is there? Well or is well, there. But there's not there's is not a not? traditional there's not a traditional villain, shall we say? Or is there, yeah. But, or I agree is with there that. or is there. But that was sort of an interesting ending. And it did not go where again, where we were expecting. With all of the don't this, don't that, um, and to have those moments echoing throughout, you know, and and the speeches echoing, and and realizing that what he says to young young Danny at the beginning is what she said to him at the end um, was just beautiful, and and you know maybe maybe it's being a parent now that really hit me hard. If you want to pick a uh, like
3: an effectively. Super creepy scene—the scene with the young Danny and the thing under the blankets—win mm-hmm. my award as the creepiest thing that happened
4: this season. Mm. <laughs> and and it never really gets explained. Wait, which one? Yeah, under I'm the, okay with it. I'm okay with that. Oh yeah,
1: under oh, the, under the, Yeah, what's the thing under absolutely. the blanket? It
3: doesn't
0: get explained, but there's an explanation.
3: No, but there's no – it's not conclusive, I think, is
0: our
1: point. No, that's it's right. But it's
3: it, left there, ambiguous. There's a,
0: it's ambiguous, but it still – it works either way. It's just creepy. Right, exactly. This, right. Yeah, this is my, that's what I like This about is my favorite episode this season, exactly. Erica. Yeah.
2: <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, not, it's not my least favorite. It's
0: no Robin of Sherwood. I, I <laughs> thought this was exquisite in its construction, but it didn't have to be a Doctor Who episode to work, and maybe that's our difference. I don't know.
2: Well, I just – I felt like this story was very much – it was like a piece of art that I just did Mm. not connect with emotionally. It was well-crafted. In many ways, it was beautiful. It just didn't work for me. First of all, I don't like the idea of the doctor crying as a six-year-old child. Like, that just – that – Kind of throws off my vision of the doctor, and yes, that's on me. But it's it's that saddening and disturbing. And I appreciate how Moffat made every single scene have two different e- explanations. It could be this this creature that the doctor thinks is out there, or it could be exactly what he says it is in any given scene. You know, the hull is cooling; it's making cracks. You know, the 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 air is rushing out simply because of the difference in air pressure. You know, and I I really wanted to see a, a monster. It didn't have to be super scary. It could have turned out to not actually be a monster. It could have been something good. I just, I I don't like the idea that the doctor can be so completely wrong that always, it gives me the willies.
0: But but is he wrong? Wrong That's the thing. It's ambiguous. He's fighting the thing. Well, here's the thing: we know not long after that <clears throat> he sees the untempered schism, and he runs and he runs and he never stops running. He is that scared boy, and this is an earlier manifestation of that. It gives right. us insight into.
4: The yeah, don't character. get me started on
2: the untempered schism either.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, but but here, here's my question: Why wouldn't the six-year-old doctor cry? You know, I part of. I mean, part of this is, of course, it's it is a show aimed at kids too, and one of the things that mine really enjoyed about it. Was seeing that, first of all, he was once a kid, that he could cry, and that he could be scared too, even though he's this super guy who has gone on to have this life, and he's a hero, whether he thinks he's good or not this year, but, you know, all of these things, but at one point... He was like them, too. Right. And it, and, and it also relates with him being like,
3: I think the reason he finds so much empathy potentially among humans, too, right, is that he is yes, very yes. human in many ways.
2: Yeah, I just don't think I don't think young me at the age of your children would have would have felt that way. I think <laughs> I would have reacted the, the opposite. And it would have because that was a pretty sensitive kid. Oh, and the doctor was like a family member at that point. So. That would have, that would have been tough. And actually, I have I have read since that Stephen Moffat had created a character called the Floof in one of his. Uh might have been one of the novels or something um, that actually has all of the attributes of this, this character, that this, this creature that may or may not exist, that the doctor is surmising Mm -hmm. something that can, that can hide really well. So whether or not it's supposed to be taken as an actual thing or the doctor being wrong, I just think it's funny that once again, we have Stephen Moffat taking something from the past and something from the, uh, (laughs) the the wilderness years of Doctor Who and, and slotting it in.
3: Uh, You know, great artists steal from themselves. (laughs) That's (laughs) right.
1: The, um, this, this is, seems to be the consensus choice for favorite episode of the season, which is why Erica's response is so fascinating to me. (laughs) Um, I, I liked it, but I did not feel the love that, uh. So many people did for it. I thought it was fine. I thought it was a little bit messy. Um, I thought that it doesn't necessarily yeah. hold together when you start thinking about the thing under the blanket and all of that. Uh, but I liked. I liked that it was so different and strange and took us to so many different places. I. I, I always. People who listen to this podcast may know I give I give creators a lot of credit for trying things that are different and out of their comfort zone and uh, especially in a show this uh, this venerable to have it be uh, have throughout an episode like this. Um, That was, I think, a, a good sign of things to come in this season, too, that this episode is so so strange compared to so many Doctor Who episodes. But I didn't unabashedly love it like so many people did, I think. Time for a sponsor break. I'm going to cross the sci fi franchise streams now to tell you about our next sponsor, a sponsor near and dear to my heart. He defeated the Klingons, he suffered the wrath of Khan, and he commanded the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. That's right. This is a sponsorship by William Shatner himself, because on his next mission, Captain Kirk needs you to be a member of his crew. William Shatner has just launched his very first. Kickstarter project to create his new book, Catch Me Up, and you can be a special part of this project. Actually, let me do that in a Shatner voice. You can be a special part of this project by going to Kickstarter now and becoming a backer. I've done better Shatners. Anyway, Catch Me Up. This is a book that seeks to empower a million people to try new things, accept new challenges, and catch up with the latest technology. William Shatner's got a video on the Kickstarter site that explains his history and why he was motivated to create this project. And he's launched it on Kickstarter so you, his friends, can be a part of this most important mission so go to kickstarter.com and type in catch me up or visit catchmeup.com and choose from rewards like autographed copies of the book t-shirts and even the opportunity to spend an evening with the captain himself it's catch me up the new book by william shatner available only at kickstarter.com and thank you captain for sponsoring the incomparable time heist is next talk about a change of pace (laughs) for the better (laughs) Well, certainly different, right? I mean, just the pacing alone—the fact that this is a bank robbery heist episode—that uh, it's on an alien planet that is full of variously lit corridors.
0: <laughs> <laughs> did, did this feel to everyone else like the uh, the Titanic one? What was that called? Uh, Voyage, Voyage of the of Damned. The Damned. Yeah. Voyage of the Damned. Yeah. Yeah. Did this? I thought this had a very similar feel to it because it was a little bit silly it was a little bit spiffy and even some of the like strangeness of it kind of had that echoey. i don't know it, it that's what it well it's me an of, a, it, it's a stuff. doctor
1: who pastiche of a of like a a, a heist movie instead of a, a right. disaster movie but it is yeah. it is that it's yeah, exa- elevated oh, that's, it. that's it yeah exactly
4: yeah it's it's doctors 11 12 david yeah <laughs> zing
2: i've heard more people compare mummy on the orient express to uh, voyage of the damned but oh yeah, that's, I, I agree that's with it. that
4: too
0: yeah.
2: However, Voyage of the Damned is one of the most one of the most reviled episodes of mm. New So I was
4: I was saying Ocean's Eleven because Ocean's Twelve is awful.
0: Yeah. Well. If you don't feel consequences <laughs> of the deaths, that's when it starts to feel silly. So like the the. Uh, in time heist, it doesn't feel consequential. You don't have that emotional. People die. and You're like, ah. Eh, then they come back. Oh, it's a transmat <laughs> beam, which we've seen done before. As opposed to the ones where someone dies, it's an emotional resonance. And I think those feel sort of like that's that sort of sense. Like. So
1: I, I I really like the uh, the heist quality here. The fact that it that they don't yeah. they don't have. Um... They don't have their memories. I think it's very clear early on for anybody who's seen any episodes of Doctor Who at all that the architect is probably going to be the doctor because yep. that's what <laughs> yes. happens. I really <laughs> I really like the teller in this in that there's yeah. a creepy monster that is kind of carted out, but it's not used in the same way that monsters often are in Doctor Who, that it's this kind of tool of of the people who run the bank. And it turns out in the end, just like in Hyde from last year, it's just a sad monster that wants to be loved.
2: Only this is a good end.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is true. Yeah, this yeah, is true. I,
2: I I loved hide until the end when they nerfed the monster. I was mm-hmm. a little bit annoyed by that. Um, time heist is actually my favorite. I think of the entire series because I'm just I'm a sucker for heist things. Mm. So I don't care about how silly you know the giant vents are and like the the fact that this mm. bank really isn't all that impregnable even though it's supposed <laughs> no. to be. I just. I think Douglas McKinnon did an amazing job. I think it was directed so well. You get all kinds of you know, Ocean's Eleven hustle style shots. I actually made Stephen watch an episode oh, of Hustle yeah. with me as soon as this was done oh, cool. because it was just so. It did so feel very hustle like. Yeah, yeah I,
4: I love Hustle.
2: And then the relighting the corridors and different lights. I mean, that is just like that's an homage to classic Doctor Who. Nah, it really, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, running through the same corridor again and again.
3: I kind of wanted it to be even more heisty. I think as my one, my one criticism yeah. is that i liked it but like well it, it's hard yeah, to do a heist enough. in a doctor who. It, it's hard to do a heist in doctor who because the doctor is so smart and it's going to like not run into so many problems like and so everything goes a little bit too well um from like a really good heist film i i still liked it um and i thought i did find the ending a little bit uh, a little bit of a letdown, even though, like, as Jason said, you know, you kind of kind of see it coming that the doctor is going to be the architect.
2: <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> I have to admit, I did not see that coming. Oh, <laughs> but you I know what I did see coming? I obvious. I did. I, but I did see the fact that the teller was a victim and was going to be a good guy. Oh, yeah. Beating, like, oh, that yeah. Clearly, well, he was chained up. Yeah. I mean, yep. My,
1: my, yep. If I have a problem with this episode, because I loved the pacing and I loved the I love the brightly colored uh, corridors relit corridors i thought that was i thought that was actually fun and funny um my problem with it is there's this this weird sudden twist at the end which is oh the director is a clone and uh yeah. she's also <laughs> going to leave and did we mention that the that the planet is going to be destroyed because like totally mm-hmm. the, the there's a solar storm comes out of nowhere and nope and yeah. they're like well we'll evacuate And it never felt like it was properly communicated that this was going to be uh, so devastating that that it and and it was amid all of this like reveal of the clone and that she's going to leave. And I felt like they fumbled that part of it that that was that would could and then the end with the teller is cute that the fact that they come back and the whole idea here is that they come back in time to say to the teller i had no problem with that it was just that le- that there's about five minutes there it's toward the end where where it's like the like miracle happens here question mark cloud like i don't know let's just say Step some forward, stuff and profit. hopefully exactly, exactly right yeah, <laughs> yeah. Th- that that's my problem with it <laughs> i like
3: that they uh pointed out the fact that too many people have the number to the tardis phone because otherwise, mm-hmm. that was getting a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> yep. But like, ah, the phone that never rings, except only every other episode. Yeah. Well, he, he outsources. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Jason, I completely agree with all of those flaws that you mentioned, and that is just how much I enjoyed the yeah. rest of the stuff that I don't care about yeah. the kind of giant holes. And the other thing that I really liked is is not only is it a heist movie, but it's a heist movie at the beginning where they don't actually know what they are doing or why they're doing it mm-hmm. or who the other people are. Yeah. I, I, I like it when, you know, you, you get to find out along with the characters what is happening and yes. who's got what skills. It reminded me a little bit of the movie Cube. I don't know if anybody's seen mm. that one, but... Mm. A Canadian film.
1: I had a Charlie It's Angels moment, too, because it is like, all right, here's your mission, right? I mean, that's sort of what happens. Like, okay, Charlie, whatever you say. Except the doctor is himself Charlie. I will chalk this up also to
3: my um, – a couple people – a couple points in this season with uh, really excellent guest stars, especially actresses who are woefully underutilized. In this case, mm. Keely Hawes, who doesn't get much yeah. to do as the villain. Oh, yeah, yeah and i'll bring that up again glasses that's pretty much when we uh when we get to kill the moon too which is my other problem
1: she's practically um whatever her name was uh miss foster from the adipose episode right it's like the same character right (laughs) almost exactly all right, time heist. I, I, Erica, you know this is it goes back to my my previous terrible uh, derogatory statements about certain parts of fandom, but <laughs> but I I, I don't want to. I'm not okay. I'm judging a little bit. I was gonna say I'm not judging, but <laughs> but you know there are people for whom those five minutes where it all kind of falls apart will sour the entire episode, and then mm-hmm. there are people who are like, yeah, it was fun that part doesn't make any sense but it was on balance so fun that i didn't care and i fall into that camp with this it's like i i wish yeah. that 5 minutes had made more sense cuz i think it would have made this episode that much better but on balance you know the pace the fun the those colors uh the teller there's so there there's mm-hmm. the 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 characters that they're that they're with on the heist that was all um that, that that makes it good i will agree with jason's point i think that the five minutes at the end
3: that sort of backload everything kept this from being say like my favorite episode of the season but it still gets a thumbs up on balance yeah yeah enjoyable absolutely mm-hmm.
1: Let me take a break to tell you about one of our sponsors. It's Touch 10 Games. Now, we all remember the Mega Man theme song from our childhood video gaming. Now, legendary Mega Man and Mighty No. 9 music composer Manami Matsume is adding her magical musical touch to a brand new game. Obviously, it is a throwback to the retro and classic games that we all love. The new game is called Target Acquired. Think Mega Man meets Temple Run so it's retro modern that's a pretty cool idea. They have a Kickstarter project to get the game off the ground. Here's what you need to do. Go to touch10.com/geek to pledge. That's touch10.com/geek. But we've also got a way to get you an extra perk. If you type, I'm a geek, in the comments after pledging, you will get a bonus. You will get Monami's CD, and the case itself has great 3D pop-up artwork. It is really cool looking. If you pledge at least $50, you'll get that tier's rewards plus the 3D pop-out CD. That's a half-off discount without the code in your comment. It's 100 If you pledge $100, you will get that tier's rewards... Plus the 3D pop-out. That's a $50 discount if you didn't enter I'm a Geek as a comment. So just type I'm a Geek in the Kickstarter comments after you pledge. The project is ending November 27th, so hurry up or you will miss out. And remember, there are lots of other awards you can get for pledging these amounts. Check it out. Touch10.com geek Thank you so much to Touch 10 and Target Acquired for sponsoring the uncomfortable. The caretaker is next. This is this is a uh, Gareth Roberts and Stephen Moffat joint. This is Gareth Roberts retreading some of the territory of The Lodger, I think, where it's a uh, where it's the doctor tries right. to sort of pretend to be a regular person in the human world and proves that he does a terrible Job at it, and we get a lot of Danny and Clara in this
3: one. I'm staking a flag and saying I really like this episode. Mm. <laughs>
1: what? Because it's
3: hilarious. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I really <laughs> enjoy the fact that he is so bad at being a normal person and is transparently bad that I just found it hilarious mm-hmm. from one end to the other.
2: And he thinks he's mm. so good at it.
3: Yeah, <laughs> it's just delightful. I enjoy. It. A lot of people thought he was being really mean to Danny. I think that kind of goes with the same thing with him being petty earlier. Like we're getting a doctor who doesn't really. He's not very nice. He's not very good at these things. He's a good person underneath, but like, you know, outwardly he's kind of a jerk.
0: Yeah. He doesn't care, right? He's not suppressing his ah. inner jerkiness the way he used to. He's kind of right. Like, eh, I mean, he does. He cares in the sense that he cares about other people. He just doesn't care right. about their opinions. Actless. right?
3: But it's delightful. Yeah. Delightful.
2: <laughs> I I agree. I think. It, uh, this is one of those ones where I it, it fell on both sides of it, but it ended up in the positive column because I everything Dan said absolutely right. Except I hated the scenes between the Doctor and Danny. It made me so uncomfortable mm. to see him being that mean, and I really didn't mm. like Clara being so dishonest and sneaking Danny into the TARDIS. This is the Doctor's like inner sanctum. That's mm-hmm. so not cool, lady. I was I was unokay <laughs> with that, but but everything else was just so funny and. And the robot, the Skovox Blitzer, Blitzer, was adorable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not particularly <laughs> threatening, but funny. Yep. And you get to see Danny do a flip. It's so cute.
0: It could destroy the entire Earth, but that's over half of it. Well, or, the,
3: yeah, but, or the scene where they have to, you know, they're like thinking on their feet and trying to explain to Danny who the doctor, like, you're dad. You know, like that whole bit. It's <laughs> <Yes>. just like, <laughs> it's, it's <is> hilarious. <laughs> um, And I, I, it's not a super serious episode. And I think that's what I like yeah. about it. The monster is there yeah. as window dressing and to provide some sort of like credible threat. But that's not really important you get courtney woods being kind of a like going back and forth to the doctor and the doctor is basically the equivalent of like a 13 year old boy and like so they're just sniping at each other most of the time but he takes her in the tardis at the end and Uh i don't know it just it all kind of falls together kind of nicely for me i i think erica you're a lot more protective of the doctor i understand that i think Mm -hmm. you probably have a lot longer history and so i kind of you know feel just more like oh you know he's just a guy and he's always a little bit different in every form too so Uh sometimes he's bound to be kind of kind of grumpy at some points
2: in some ways i think it's better as a viewer to have a a looser view like you do and then i'm 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 a little bit set in my ways and crusty and old and i try to recognize Uh, that but sometimes i can't help it it happens
1: (laughs) I, i i like this one too i i like the like tone of it and the fact that it you know again you can't take it a little you can't take it too seriously it's funny it is in the style of the lodger which the I, whole which bit where
3: where the doctor is convinced that Clara must have a crush on the other teacher he yes. like it, because Smith. he looks like Matt Smith. So yeah. good. Great. That was a beautiful, beautiful yeah. touch. I think that did a nice job of getting reducing some of the uncomfortableness of the Matt Smith cameo at the end of the episode, the first episode. Right. I mm. feel like that that's almost a better way to handle it is having this like we know there's a relationship there and that there's something that was lost, but like dealing with it in sort of a comic aside works better
1: <laughs> well and dealing with trouble troublemaker courtney and having him be like oh troublemaker a and like i like how he's mm. always interviewing other possible companions yeah. is a very funny <laughs> uh and, and the fact that that she's a troublemaker and that doesn't disqualify you from the doctor liking you because he is a troublemaker <laughs> and i like that too
2: but throwing up on the tardis might yeah, yeah. That,
1: that yeah <laughs> mm. sounds right that's, you, that's, you might I need to that. bring cleaning supplies along <laughs> yeah in which case you have kill the moon Episode mm-hmm. seven, Sorry. in which in which a the moon, the moon is killed. <laughs> no, that doesn't <laughs> happen. Uh, this is uh, Courtney go, comes along with the Doctor and Clara, and they go to the moon where there's a space shuttle, I guess, and nuclear bombs and spiders that aren't spiders but bacteria, but they still spin webs, but they're totally not spiders. And uh, in the end, the Doctor. Runs away, uh, leaving uh, Clara and Courtney and the astronaut who is there uh, with the nuclear bombs to determine the fate of the moon and the earth. So what do we think of kill the moon?
0: the disposable astronauts were like, I don't quite know what I'm doing here. I shall wander. And it was like, these poor guys, they're not really astronauts. We brought them along, they're the best we can do, and then they all get killed. It was not,
3: you know. Another another underutilized great actress in Hermione Norris, who is mm-hmm, fantastic mm-hmm. in yeah. Spooks and uh, Kingdom and a bunch of other stuff, and is just has nothing to do here, in an episode that entirely feels so contrived just to bring about the last five minutes. And the last five minutes in the argument that Clara and the Doctor have is the best part of this episode, Mm. but it feels Mm. like they burned off 40 minutes just to get to that so that we could have this moral argument between the two of them. And it's for that, that removes all the stakes for me and everything. I didn't care what she chose Mm. to do. I didn't. Mm.
1: So there's some fantastical elements of this, right? I mean, the moon... I mean, they've right off, they're like, hey, there's gravity in the moon. Something weird's going on because we don't want to pay to do special effects where (laughs) gravity is lighter. So we're just going to say that there's more gravity now. And there are the spiders and there's the – but they're only germs. And the moon is an egg, but it's going to – I mean, right? It's like the moon is an egg is a great kind of crazy statement to make. The moon is an egg and it's about to hatch. That is actually kind of brilliant. But everything around is like, and then there'll be another – it'll lay another egg and there'll be another moon and it'll be another one of those
3: things i thought was
1: telegraphed
3: way too early in the episode i just i don't know Hmm. it it made sense to me very early on and i kept
1: being like guys guys it's hatching it's hatching come on catch up (laughs) yeah yeah, it's, it's – I like – this is what I said before. I like the fact that this this story is so different and the tone is so different and it's so strange and that the moon is an egg idea is so bizarre. That said, it, this is funny because this is uh, the, the one episode of the TV podcast this season that I I wasn't on because they were playing an 18-inning long baseball game. And so so some nice gentleman <laughs> oh, yeah. recorded a podcast instead. Oh, um, well, that's right. I find I that, that funny because the people who listen to TV would be like, oh, Jason, he likes every episode said, well, that's because I wasn't on the Kill the Moon episode because I didn't like Kill the Moon. I love all of its attempts to be different, but I thought it was terrible. I thought the doctor's really? behavior is mm-hmm. is inconceivable. The doctor's it like, well, make any sense. I got to go. I I, I don't. I don't entirely agree with the people who criticized this and said that it's a pro-life message because this is essentially saying you've got to spare the, spare the baby. I, I get where they're coming from, but I don't think that was the intent of this episode. And I like the fact that the doctor is empowering women to decide whether the earth lives or dies and whether this egg hatches or not. But the fact that the doctor would, after 50 years of intervening in order to protect humanity, um, decides to run <laughs> this away. This is the time? This either, is the time? One, one, either he's a coward or or two, he's playing head games with Clara in order to have her make a decision that he already knows what she's gonna make it. either way, it's not good, and I don't like it so mm-hmm. and plus then, oh, and they laid another egg that looks exactly like the moon, the end, right uh
0: convenient.
1: <laughs>
2: Yeah, this is one where, I mean, I, th- there are things I liked about it, and I think I, I en- enjoyed the experience of watching it, but overall, it's probably not one of my favorites in this series because I, I liked, like you said, you know, the empowering women, there are three women and all of the the men in the episode either run away or are bumbling idiots and get killed off one yeah, by one. Like sure. it's it's a pretty it's a pretty female centric episode, um, which you know kind of cool. However, I I feel the same way about the doctor's actions, and maybe this comes back to me being overprotective of the doctor. Ah. But I I hated watching him act that way. It, it, whether it, Maybe I can hand wave it and make it make sense because he's pretty damaged and broken in, in this incarnation and still trying to figure himself out. So so maybe it kind of does make sense that this is the time that he chooses to to stop intervening and run away and, and let the Earthers make the choice. But I i hate I hated watching that happen, and I think also it 's not entirely fair because Hermione Norris is the only one that 's actually of that earth, both Clara and you know this teenager Courtney, who really she hasn 't had a whole lot of life behind her yet to make no. these kind of big decisions they 're from a completely different time, so it it just that didn 't make sense, and I do agree that the best scene was at the end with Clara just giving the doctor both barrels. It was amazingly acted. But it once again, really uncomfortable to watch. And, and I, I like some, some emotions in my Doctor Who, but this was just like, it seemed like the whole series kept building and the episodes that had the least amount of the angst were the ones that I liked the best. So that's why this one was less enjoyable.
3: Mm. <laughs> and this is one where I'll agree, I'll agree with Erica about the Doctor and the way that he acts feeling cringeworthy. Because in the other ones where he's being kind of Teddy, that's one thing. But to abdicate responsibility, as Jason pointed out, when he's been doing this for so long, why? Why is this the point? Why is this the one that he has to walk away from? That doesn't make any sense at all. Like that is not something we've ever seen him do before. To me, this yeah. is the inconsistency in the character. Whereas everything else he did, even if it's unbecoming, at least with, was consistent with the characterization that we've been presented of this incarnation of the Doctor. So I just don't get it, and it feels contrived to make that, like, to set up that argument at the end. And it's just, that just feels, it feels lame to me. This was the worst episode of the season, hands down for me.
0: Yep. I agree with you. I think uh, David, uh, Mr. McNulty, and I spent an enormous amount of time going, why, why, on the... (laughs) <laughs> on the uh, yeah. TV, though, I mm-hmm. may not repeat that, but why, dear God, I didn't like the gravity. I hate I hate episodes yeah. where there's pseudoscience, but they don't do the hand-wavy thing. So it's like, it's one thing if you invent some kind of ridiculous scientific principle and then stand by it. It's another, like, there's more gravity. It's like, there is not. Where did the mass come from? Give me the most lame explanation about how it's sucking Just material from a parallel right? universe. Yeah. They're
1: bacteria, but they they only look like spiders. But they spin yeah, but webs. they spin webs. what?
0: What? Just, just, just have a parallel universe that it's sucking energy out of, and I'd be okay with it. But no,
1: right? And, and parable, yeah, metaphor, myth making, okay. Like I said, fl- lots of credit for as as audacious as this episode is. The moon is an egg, but um, execution wise, yeah, and, and and undercutting the doctor and and his character in order to get his argument with Clara at the end, which I da- agree with Dan totally is why. He does what he does. He does it so that they can have an argument at the end, not because it makes any sense. Because I mean, the script tells right, him to. Right. I mean, otherwise you can right. have the doctor caught under something heavy and be like, I I'm, it's heavy. You make the
4: decision, right? But that doesn't happen. <laughs> he, he could be trapped watching an endless baseball game and she has to make the decision. That's
1: right. It's the 18th inning. I have to go. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed watching bits and pieces of it, though, because I did think that there was fun, there was some tension and some excitement, and they really did, you know, Hinchcliffe the bleep out of the uh, the first 15 yes. minutes, and, and there was some mystery, and, and I, you know, I didn't know what was going on. So when you ignore some of the reasons that things were happening yeah. and just, just go with the flow, I, I enjoyed a lot of that part
1: of it. I like the space base. I like the moon scenes that they were like, I thought that looked kind of cool for Doctor mm-hmm. Who, right? Especially, it's like, wow, they're on the moon. That's nice but um but the story yeah okay the moon we've killed it uh (laughs) mummy Mm. on the orient express is next which when i heard this title i thought well this is like a holdover from last season where they had the wild titles and the super broad uh, episodes and like um like time heist this is a you know this is a story of a of a certain type it is on a space train and there's a murderous mummy and it's as broad a an idea as uh, as as possible. Uh, I watched this one in a different hotel room <laughs> with Dan.
4: Was I there? Oh,
1: no, with Dan Morin. We watched <laughs> this in you Montreal, or? and then
4: we did a podcast. How did the it. two experiences compare?
1: Um, I I, I we watched on a TV. Yeah, we watched on a TV and not hey. on laptops. Yeah, because Dan had uh, the right cables. Uh I thought this episode was really fun, right? That it was fun and that w- and it had great jokes and it had a good pace.
2: This episode felt more like classic Doctor Who than anything I have seen in a long time. It yes, just had yes, the feeling of an yes. old-school Doctor Who episode that wasn't taking itself too seriously, was just sort of having a good time, and I enjoyed the heck out of it from oh. beginning to end.
3: And, and in contrast to the last episode, when stuff happens like and doesn't make quote-unquote sense, like the 66 seconds things they come up with an explanation and that explanation doesn't need to be like perfectly sensible it but it's like make sense. it's an ex- it's right. an explanation yes. though it's like great that's fine that's consistent with the world that you've created here
1: all we ask is that you wave your hand okay just, exactly. just hand yeah. waving is all we need
3: <laughs> and i like that it was a, a monster that was again not really a monster like it was a, it was not a sentient thinking being, right? It was a, it had a program to run, sort of, and it wasn't malevolent. It was just doing what it was supposed to do, and I kind of dug that.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit recycled from the Empty Child or something like that, where it's this soldier like program. Half of
2: Moffat's, Moffat's other scripts. stories.
1: Yeah, I know. I, I was going to stop <laughs> the Empty Child, but yes, we could list them all. Mm-hmm. But oh, yeah. it it serves the purpose of being an interesting threat, and you get the uh, you get the engineer who helps the doctor, and you get the scene. Uh, uh, at the uh at the locked door in the train that is pretty good. And uh yeah, it it is you're you're right, Erica, it is a this is a classic Doctor Who story if ever there was one. They they in fact you might be able to watch it and point out the various <laughs> cliffhanger breaks in the middle of it oh yeah
2: and even down to like the, the feel of the stunt casting they used to do that every once in a while in classic who bring mm. in somebody who's really well known in this case it's frank skinner who is a very noted like huge hardcore doctor who fan who apparently was watching i think episode two of the sensorites when he got the news he was going to be on doctor who like that's that <laughs> is a hardcore doctor who fan <laughs> and the as soon as they knew that he was going to be in it apparently jamie matheson who also is a stand-up comedian like frank skinner is started like putting in some more lines and stuff for him so it very much had the feel that this is the, the throwaway character that you're supposed to be paying attention to. He kind of got the spotlight, and it it, it felt classic to me. Yeah.
4: Although I, I will say my, my younger son looked up every time the train, you know, you'd see the outside of the train, and he'd say, why are they on the Polar Express? Yeah. But aside from that. CGI, space. I train. just wonder, I still wonder yeah. if
3: it runs into the space, space Titanic.
1: I, I like the fact that this is yeah. actually r- resolving... Um, in the, the end of matt smith's first season yes. he gets the phone call about the orient express in space and in mm-hmm. in this episode what we're told is that this guy whoever's been trying to get him to come on this train has been trying to do it for a while now and he's never managed to make <laughs> it there so we, we we've retconned that phone call back into the whole idea that it's the orient express in space and we and we too. don't solve everything either too no right? like who also kind of fun. Yeah. Who, who set gus the computer on this path and that's just kind of was it missy we never i don't know i mean it doesn't make any sense i just it's out there it's whatever i don't know
2: i bet we'll come back to it eventually and i hope it will be even half as fun as this episode because if so i will like it
1: i agree thumbs up yeah okay next is flatline uh written by the same written by the author of mummy on the orient express although i think maybe in the opposite order but i don't know yeah
2: flatline was first and they liked it so Mm -hmm. much they said uh here, do another one. So yeah, Mummy right on the Orient Express is what he came up with, like off the top of his head. He didn't even have like a, a, an idea. Well, he well I just think kinda... I think
1: Stephen Moffat gave him Mummy on the Orient Express yep. and said, "Go write that, whatever. Just figure it out." <laughs> uh, but Flatline, he came, he came with, and this is this is the uh, the Tardis is shrinking. Uh, the Doctor is trapped inside. There are two dimensional monsters, uh, and th- and Clara has to sit on a chair to hide from monsters and they get chased into a there's a there's an overpass and then there's some like the inside of a factory and subway tunnels and um you know i i uh spoiler alert i think maybe this is my favorite episode of the whole season flatline i I, yep. I i loved it i loved the monsters i love the jokes i love the fact that the doctor is in an increasingly small box but he doesn't get any smaller <laughs> and so he becomes like cousin it from the mm-hmm. adams family not the monsters although i said the monsters on the tv podcast because i don't i can't tell the difference between those shows there's monster <laughs> shows from a billion years ago uh, i i loved i loved so much about this i love that clara becomes the doctor and she's got her own companion who is rigsy and they and they investigate all this and then there's the giant Hand that comes out and grabs people, which is like such a great shock. I loved Flatline. I, everything about it.
4: Yeah, this this was probably my absolute favorite of the season because it was it was different. It was new. It was you know it had all the things that a good Doctor Who has, but it it kept you guessing. It kept you on the edge of your seat. And the the two dimensional monsters are are effectively creepy,
3: especially because oh, yeah. you don't understand their motivation even by the end of it. You're like maybe they're just. Trying to figure stuff out. I don't know. But they like it. They're just trying to people. say hi. <laughs> yeah. But it, it was creepy, especially the one with all the like the the graffiti of all the people in the sub underpass in the subway tunnel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that was that was pretty cool. I liked it.
4: Yeah, this this was the one that freaked out the kids.
0: Well, I like the reveal that we weren't sure. Maybe this could be okay. They're having trouble communicating. Uh this remind me of that Star Trek episode in which the you know the uh, sub uh, was it subspace creatures with the strange oh, yeah, schisms yeah. is that schisms yeah, yeah. that's that, a creepy yeah. episode that's a creepy and it never comes <laughs> back later but it's remind me of that it's like well maybe they're trying to communicate maybe they don't know what they're doing oh no <laughs> I love oh, that the no, doctor is exactly. like oh let's
1: give them the benefit of the doubt oh you think they're really good no I don't <laughs> but we gotta give them the benefit of the doubt. that is see that is very doctor right that is that is him to a t which is i want to listen to them but i don't they're they're gonna kill us so
2: gonna... you know if if uh, time heist had been a pastiche of any genre other than heists this would be my mm. favorite my favorite of the series but mm. just my, my my heist love uh, makes, uh overrides it yeah just a little bit not by a whole lot though because i completely agree this was this was fantastic it was just it was so exciting and so different and i adored the, uh, the interaction between Clara on the outside and the Doctor on the inside, oh. especially knowing that they shot it completely separately because right. these were double-banked booked, double banked episodes, which is why they're not in the same scenes very often. And Clara yeah. being the Doctor and the Doctor being like, don't you dare. And she just, oh, she, she's an excellent Doctor. She's really, really good.
4: This might be the only episode, as much as I love the whole series with mild exceptions, mm. um, you know, and I've said this is the best sustained stretch of episodes i think in the new series for me uh but this was the only one where there wasn't anything that made me stop and go what well that didn't quite connect i mean this was just flat out flat out (laughs) beautiful yes (laughs) flat out beautiful I, actually,
2: I have I have one um, one problem with this episode, and that is I think the boneless is a stupid name, yeah, and I take issue with it. I call them flatliners.
1: I, I also my my complaint about this episode is that uh, Clara receives a phone call from Danny while almost dying, and one decides to answer it, and two decides <laughs> to lie and say no, I'm fine. There's nothing going on. Mm-hmm. Why would why why? Because Moffitt Well, maybe
2: she too. thought yeah. that would be her last chance to hear his
3: voice.
1: Yes. Aww.
2: Maybe? I don't know. I'm just, I'm grasping at straws here.
1: They have a yeah. lot of
3: awkward phone conversations this
1: season. <laughs> what I'm saying is, when a two dimensional creature is trying to kill you, uh, don't answer the phone. Just no. Speaking to to self. from experience. <laughs> yeah. Just, I think that happens. Uh, that's a good one. I like I like I like that. In fact, Jamie Matheson, the guy who wrote this and Mummy uh, on the Orient Express, I start to put him in line of like, hey, if you need if you need to bring writers back, and if you need mm-hmm. to think about future people yeah. who might be able to run the show, um, put mm-hmm. save this name away because uh, well, I don't
2: know about showrunners because showrunning is a very different skill set from writing good scripts. So
1: what I would do is say uh, you, you hire you hire Neil Cross of Luther fame to run the show mm-hmm. and he brings on Jamie Matheson's says, write me some episodes too. And then I would those, because those are the two fines for me of the last two years or Neil Cross yeah. and uh, Jamie Matheson writing doctor who both bang up jobs. So, you know, yay. Time for a little break to talk about one of our sponsors. It's Harry's. You may know Harry's. I've talked about it in the past. Uh, great source for shaving stuff for men right now, hopefully for women in the future. But this is for the gentlemen out there. Did you know the month of Movember is upon us? This is a very clever concept involving people growing out mustaches for charity. Um, Mustache, which in America is spelled with a U, and yet we call it Movember. I don't really understand. It doesn't matter. National Novel Writing Month isn't national either. November is a big month, and it's a big month for Harry's. And Harry's.com is the official Razor partner of Movember. So it'll be there for the entire hairy month. So whether or not you are growing a mustache for Movember. With Harry's, you can get an amazing shave and do good by supporting Movember's quest to fund research on important men's health issues. Now, I've told you about Harry's.com before. It was started by two guys who are passionate about creating a better shaving experience for all men. They bought a blade factory in Germany. They liked it so much, they bought the factory. The blades are great. I shave with a Harry's blade every now every day now. It is fantastic. They have this amazing shaving lotion with light mint smell on it that I have come to love. That is my go-to shaving cream now. Uh, They also have a foaming shave gel. They've got aftershave, really amazing selection of high-quality products, and they cut out the middleman so they can offer amazing high-quality products at a fraction of the price of the drugstore brands. The starter shave set starts at just $15. That's a razor, three blades, and your choice of that shave cream (laughs) or the foaming shave gel i love that shave cream i love that little minty smell it's so great uh so shipping is free uh you don't have to do that that thing where you're like oh that's a really good price and then you go to your uh check out your shopping cart and find that there's like ten dollars added on Uh, shipping is free when you go to harry's so go to harry's.com now h-a-r-r-y-s.com now and you can get five dollars off if you type in the code snell for your first purchase that's my name snell use that code at harrys.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com, com, coupon code Snell, $5 off at checkout, and change the way you shave forever. I did. Oh, thank you, Harry's, for sponsoring The incomparable and giving me a good shave. So next up is In the Forest of the Night by Frank Cottrell Boyce, noted children's author and uh, guy who did the London 2012 Summer Olympic program thing. Uh, and this is the one where the uh, there's a forest that appears overnight in London, and Clara and Danny have a group of kids that they're in the museum and they need to get them home. And a little girl named Mabe comes and finds the doctor in the TARDIS and says, Clara sent me to, to get you. And uh, uh, what did everybody think of this? This is another one of those fable kind of episodes. Great premise, terrible execution.
3: <laughs>
2: I didn't know that Frank Cottrell Boyce was a a children's author before I saw it, but I absolutely would have guessed after Mm. seeing it because it did have (laughs) that kind of kid's book sort of feeling, which maybe could have been done well, but it, it I don't know. I it was okay, but I didn't like first of all I don't like kids in Doctor Who. Yes, I know it's a kids' show, but most of the time it bothers <laughs> yes, me. Oh my <laughs> I thought I thought Maeve was actually quite good. Like that that oh, yeah, little actress. She yeah. she was excellent, so I had no problem with her. Um but then you have Danny and Clara being the worst teachers in the world. They're walking in <laughs> front of all the kids and you letting them wander behind them. Well it's in not this like forest. they're in a forest <laughs> oh jeez i just there was there was enough little stuff like that oh. happening um and then you have the 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 creatures the here which is apparently what they're called i didn't get that Whatever. from the episode um and it just <laughs> i was
4: fine with it don't it photosynthesize was,
2: I, I i wouldn't say i disliked this one but um i think the fact that it was so pretty saved saved it a lot for me because it was gorgeously set design michael piccolo did an amazing job and i think sheree folks inst- direction was excellent too but the story itself was like not a lot happened and the doctor didn't do anything the doctor hasn't done anything all season to be fair but (laughs) but this this time he really doesn't do anything he just sort of stands around
3: yeah and it doesn't really make it it's a plot with no sense oh the trees have grown up to prevent protect us from a solar flare overnight because that happens
1: and well i can buy that more than their disappearance but but the the uh, you know, that that's the, when you look at the hindsight of this episode, right, it's like, oh no, the trees, we must get to the bottom of this. Oh, they're fine. They're just here to protect us. All right. And then when they're done, they will vanish. Okay. The end. Well, so that's that's the thing is, like,
3: again, a, a magical forest that grows overnight is a, again, I think a, a fascinating, beautiful idea in the realms of fantasy. But the problem is, it's Doctor Who, so you have to try and explain, they do try and explain it mm. here, and that goes horribly awry i feel like cuz it just doesn't it's too far out of the realm of this of the show in some ways the yeah.
2: consequences of all of that, like, I mean, buildings would be falling down left and right because of the root structures. And, like, this is my yeah. brain
3: just went on a tangent about, like,
1: this would ruin everything. These are magic trees, though.
3: Much better implementation of same idea is in the, the show Legend of Korra, in which spirit plants start growing mm-hmm. throughout a major city, and it totally disrupts everything mm-hmm. going
1: on there. <laughs> I asked my kids what they thought of this season, and uh, they singled out this as the episode they liked the most. Hmm. Um cool. as as a which I think maybe fits into what we said about the that it's Frank cattrall Boyce and he he has written um he's written children's books and films about children and this and my kids liked it. They liked that the kids were in it, they liked that there wasn't a big monster. Actually my son said I like that it turns out the trees are friendly. Um mm. and, and so so I think that's interesting that this is this is maybe We always have this argument about, like, is Doctor Who for kids? Is it for adults? And the answer, that's a very American argument, I think, because the the answer is this is a family show. It's made for families. It's made for all age ranges. It's not like most American shows that are made for kids or they're made for adults. It's made for families. Um, This is maybe the most uh, kids show, like kids concept episode I've seen in the series since it came back, where I feel like this is a story for children. And- as a story for children, I actually think it really works up until the last 15 minutes when Danny and Clara decide that kids, the kids would be sad if they escaped the dying planet and their parents died. So we'll just stay here and all die because that is the most ridiculous way to take care of children ever. No, no, we're all just going to stay here yeah. and die. I know we could be saved, but we'd be, it would be a real bummer if the kids' parents died and they didn't. So we're all going to die instead. And that's when I get really angry and said, what are you doing?
2: Well, you got to – I mean, they don't actually have kids themselves. And that's a kind of decision I could see myself making, being like, you know, do, do I want to have a, a one class full of, of, of little kids to take care of who are going to grow up to be the last human beings in the universe? That sounds like a horrible existence. I think I'd rather stay on the planet with kids.
0: Okay, Jason and David, the plan we had to send all of our kids mm-hmm. to Canada –
1: we're canceling uh, that yeah. good
2: thank goodness
1: mission accomplished if Clara doesn't want to take care of the kids that's fine but to say that because the kids will be sad that, that their parents are dead I'm just going to stay here and let them die is a <laughs> poor <laughs> bit
4: of care for that children that was the point when when both of mine went what is the what is wrong with these people <laughs> get them on the get in the TARDIS. TARDIS. machine and, and it's like well how would you feel if you know and like hell yeah I want to live in outer space go away okay i can handle that
1: yeah i think i think uh yeah repopulating the, the 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 species and being the last humans alive maybe beats being dead in the burned up planet but of course it's obvious because there's that scene where the guys are setting fire to the trees and going oh look nothing happens that, that was
2: my other that was my other problem as soon as that <laughs> happened i realized oh the trees are the good guys yeah and i don't like being smarter than the doctor like the yeah. doctor didn't figure that out
1: no, so, and, then, yeah. and I agree. It's a fun scene when he says, "I'm an idiot," but it's like you know, dude. I yeah. I figured this out twenty minutes ago. I'm okay <laughs> with him learning it. You know, ten minutes after I do, or five minutes after I do. But literally half the episode goes by. They say goodbye. He goes, "Oh well, I guess it's over." I'm gonna go watch the Earth burn, and then he goes, "Oh, fireproof trees." Like ah oh, yeah, but again, my kids didn't have the problem with it, which is why I think maybe this is an episode that works better if you're ten or or twelve than if you're forty. I, I thought like like I said, I, I I'm torn on this. Um, I think the first twenty five or thirty minutes is kind of beautiful in its weird fantasy fable kind of way, and then I feel like it falls apart. So.
3: I'll say not as bad as Kill the Moon, but it may may be my second Mm -mm. least favorite. Not that there weren't things I didn't like, but I think it might be my second least favorite overall.
1: So in the original released version of this episode, I forgot to take out a big blank space. And people who got that episode got to be alone with their feelings, perhaps yell back at the podcast, uh, or ponder the meaning of life. You, however, get to hear me say that if you hear this before roughly early december 2nd 2014 you should go to the incomparable.com slash shirt and find a link to our awesome random trek t-shirts which are for sale for a limited time now back to the show okay we have come to the finale the two-part finale dark water and death in heaven wherein we we meet missy Finally, after her various appearances, advertising her future appearances in other episodes. Uh, It's not a story arc if all they're doing is reminding you that there's going to be a finale. It's just an ad for the finale. Dark Wather and Death in Heaven, we meet Missy. Uh, We think that she's an android. It turns out that she's just playing around with the doctor and that she's actually the master. Regenerated. And because she's a proper time lady type, she's now the mistress. And there are Cybermen. There is some water that its purpose seems to be to hide that there are cybermen until it's (laughs) cool to reveal that they are cybermen which is cool there is no doubt about it and and i laughed at it because it's like i don't know why dark water exists but it's awfully cool when they drain the dark water and there are cybermen in little pods (laughs) like this again talking about moffat retreading things to like the silence when they're in their little water pods like wouldn't it be cool if there's monsters in water
2: the genius of this is that eventually we find out that this is a plan of the master, and that basically gives you carte blanche to do whatever kind of crazy, theatrical, <laughs> dramatic thing you want because that's totally the way the master does things. Sure.
3: Well, the master is the master is the Joker, right? Like, he/she <laughs> he, is a roving agent of chaos, mm-hmm. just there to be like whatever, and that. That is a kind of a liberating thing to be able to do for a villain. It's a very joker
1: <laughs> moment in Death in Heaven when uh when uh she kills uh the yeah. one whose name I can never remember. Osgood. Osgood Os- Oswin Osbert Oscorp, <laughs> Corp. Uh, that, that uh she she says, I should probably keep you alive, but bananas <laughs> and kills her. It's like yeah. that was a very joker <laughs> kind of thing, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I liked the thing I liked about Dark Water is that I felt like this was actually, as Asinine Master Plots go, this was actually pretty good because it's like I know Cybermen are clever. I can use the Cybermen and I can use like the part of the Matrix and I can like make Cybermen and take and, and take over the world. It's like you know, as ridiculous Master Plots go, that's not bad, and it also makes the, the Cybermen slightly more interesting. It gives them something interesting well, yeah. about them. Plus using all the dead people is cr- effectively
3: creepy, I think. And I, mm-hmm. uh, so I got some of the spoil for me in that they they were posting like press images and I did see the Cybermen before. Sure. And so I figured it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did not figure out who Missy was until the end. And that I, I oh. that struck me as a really good reveal. Even, I, I know a lot of people didn't like her as a character, but I thought she gets much better here once, once her motivations are revealed. Um, I also kind of dug that, um you know as sad as danny's demise is i kind of like that it was it was totally mundane like that you know he gets hit by a car like that's it's really sad and but it's not the result of a monster it's not anything else and i thought clara's sort of you know response to that and feeling like the the doctor kind of owed her to try and help fix this i thought was was pretty solid
1: I, I, like, I love the moment where uh, the Cybermen, uh, the, the artistic uh, designs of the uh, industrial <laughs> uh, building in which the Cybermen are held are the eyes, the windows of the doors are the eyes of the Cybermen. And oh gosh, the moment that the beautiful. doors close, yeah. Yeah, that the, the Cyberman theme Murray Gold's Cyberman Um, theme plays uh, that uh, made me laugh uh, and laugh uh. and laugh and Lauren (laughs) didn't know the Cybermen were in this episode and when she got to that point she was like oh it was beautiful. It was like, yeah, they were, I knew they were coming, but and I, I had noticed the windows and thought, oh, that's pretty funny. I, had, but I what knew a they moment. were coming,
2: but I but I had forgotten all about it. So when that that moment had the perfect effect on me, it was it did exactly what it was supposed to do.
0: It was I I had this problem that um, I think did you guys talk about it in the last one? It Was it was that, that they have this time world technology that apparently can capture potentially if she's gone being, gone across time. Uh, everybody, who's ever, everybody who's ever,
1: everybody who's ever died, the consciousness, their consciousness is saved at the moment of death by the by the Matrix.
0: It seems problematic that it's kind of like, well, that time that technology has it looks like a Dyson sphere, by the way, on the inside. It's bigger. It's time. It's a Dyson sphere on the inside. Uh, it that they have all this and there's all these people living there apparently and they're traumatizing them to make them erase their emotions maybe and then it's like oh, and they're all gone. For and all the and all the yeah. bodies in earth are gone forever
1: it's like what we i don't know okay, all the what? dead bodies and the the, the that was my Dust. that was my feeling was the you've you've recorded the consciousness of all of these people who died in earth's history uh you know at various points in earth's history like what happens to them are they all they all just turned into cybermen and blew up that's really sad that's like mm-hmm. except for except Dark. for the brigadier who is now a cyberman and presumably some others that have, are going to form the cyber squad and protect the earth now as the uh the uh the great cyber cyber protectors who are good.
0: Uh, that's so much about the afterlife in which there's every soul that's ever lived. I don't know. It was very interesting and not well developed because it was sort of a side plot. Why do you need to upload people and edit their emotions? Can't I you just copy uh... the consciousness of one? I don't
4: understand cybermen.
0: Don't... What's the deal with cybermen?
4: <laughs> Can't you just reanimate them without a consciousness? That would make things so much easier.
1: Like, what's the program? Like, Cybermen... Why do you need them to be intelligent if you can tell them everything to do via a bracelet?
0: Exactly. I also don't understand. What's the Cyber <laughs> Manifesto, right? Like, what is the... What, is there, like, <laughs> central programming? I don't really get them. Like, what is yeah. their thing? The Daleks, I get. I don't get the Cybermen.
2: They've they've evolved, I think, evolved is maybe the right (laughs) word, Um, more than any other... Upgraded,
3: Erica, (laughs) upgraded. Thank you,
2: thank you. Um, So so I think that their motivations kind of do change throughout the entirety of the series, whereas with the Daleks, it's very easy. It's just kill everything that is not a Dalek. Whereas Mm -hmm. the Cybermen started out as just, they were just regular people who didn't want to have to die early and then eventually realized, oh, we could get rid of these pesky emotions too and Mm -hmm. it just sort of snowballed from there i think in this the answer to most of the questions that you guys just asked is it's the master because <laughs> yeah it's yeah. it's ridiculous to to grab all of these you know these minds and stuff maybe maybe we could just somehow animate the cybermen of course then they wouldn't really be cybermen they would just be weird robots um it's not actually a cyberman unless it has a dead person inside of it i think is kind of right. how it works out but but if you don't do that you don't get the doctor's Uh, attention if you aren't capturing every single person on earth if it's just a bunch of Cybermen that's that's not going to really grab him you know tug him by the the quadruple heartstrings you know
0: I I will say this was the I mean I did like the idea that it was like okay I've created you this enormous army that could actually take do anything in the universe including for good and it did remind me very nicely of last of the Time Lords where the master's like I've had them build bombs and they're gonna go to every planet through you know what is it wormholes and we're gonna blow up the entire universe like that is a pretty ambitious thing <laughs> and it seems like you've actually accomplished it And you have a thing in your hand with a button and you could actually do it and you know usually he doesn't get that far so this was kind of clever where it's like okay i have the best army in the universe all ready to go and here you go it's yours Doctor. yeah
3: giving <laughs> it to the doctor i think is is the thing that makes this so just it's so it gets so much more interesting than if the master was like yeah i was gonna i'm gonna kill everything now it's like no i'm I'm less interested in the entire universe than I am in just screwing with you. Like, yep. that is yeah. kind of all I want to do. <laughs>
2: That's pretty much classic The Master. I mean, if you it's look great. back it's great. through history, yeah. so much, so often he shows up and he doesn't really, like, his plans don't really make sense except to screw with the Doctor's favorite planet. Like, yeah, you're going to get rid of Magna Carta. Why? Like, what does that get you?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that it's, it's English common law back hundreds of years to do that. <laughs> and, and, wow. and as a Time Lord,
2: why do you care? <laughs>
1: I was bugged by the way Danny goes out in the sense that um I, I I get the artfulness and also that it's a family show of not showing him getting like hit by a car or anything like that but it seems his death seems so Mundane and boring, which well, I, guess, yeah, I like. Sort of that, the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah.
3: I was saying, I was saying before. I think I, I enjoyed that it was not a monster or something else that killed him. Because guess what? It happens. People get hit by cars, and that's like it was really sad. I think in that way because it feels me like unpreventable and kind of quote unquote meaningless. And that to me is much sadder in some ways than like a heroic death,
4: for example, or you know even getting killed by a monster. And and it was balanced by. When he does finally go out, he goes out with a tremendous speech in a graveyard and saving the saving the world with oh, a bang, with a bang, oh. and and a great speech that that's very resonant with Remembrance Day, which is right about when the episode fell. Right, um, which is a lovely touch.
0: I hated that speech.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I did, I'm not saying the speech was great, but it resonated.
0: Well, they they filled out that arc of the the Doctor as the the person who manipulates other people into you know killing themselves or becoming weapons and and Danny makes a differentiation he's an officer I'm a soldier and they do
3: it it does set up a nice scene at the end with yes. the Clara and the doctor lying to each other about how happy
1: they are and how good everything is <laughs> this is this is i feel like representative of the series as a whole this whole this whole season um, where there is a really strong theme, the character yeah. connections are really strong. We see the doctor 's feelings about soldiers and what you know what his role is, and is he a good man? is he a bad man, or you know what kind of man is he? Uh, his relationship with Clara all of this comes to that that scene at the end where they are uh, they 're hugging and the hug is a lie because you can 't see the other person 's face and they 're both lying to each other, and all of that. All of that emotionally and character-wise, I feel like, and theme-wise for the whole season, totally worked. My problem with "Death in Heaven" is that is that as we've mentioned for some other episodes, I feel like lots of bizarre things are done um, to create those good it's, character moments. It's, it's like showing your not good.
4: showing your work. Mm-hmm. In in retrospect, the thing that bugs me about the season, and, and it's and it is the thematic thing, and and I guess it kind of bugged me a little bit throughout. But the whole thing you where he keeps saying, am I a good man? Am I a good man? Well, we know he's going to find out that he's a good man because they're not suddenly going to make him not a good man. But the question should have been, why do you think I'm a good man? And if he's asking that to the different people, then that's something that he actually needs to find out. And that's something that we actually don't know. Why do you think he's a good man? But to just have him saying, why am I a good man? Or, or am I a good man? That it was like, mm. it, it, but the, it, the resolution I feel like wasn't. Oh yeah, I
1: am a good man. The resolution was, I am neither the good Dalek right. or the bad Dalek. I am just somebody who meanders through and tries to help people along the way, and that that's who I am. And I'm not going to be the great savior of everybody, and I'm not going to be the great villain. I'm going to be this person who stumbles along. And tries to do good, which the I like. Galactic
2: hobo, which is you know what right. we had back in the day.
1: I like, I like that. That was the resolution. That I'm not that guy. I'm not the guy you want me to be. Who's going to take this army and save everybody? That's not who I am. I. Think. That
2: was that was the scene actually that that made me cry. It wasn't the end. It wasn't the Danny thing. Like when the doctor was having his revelation there in the graveyard, I was sobbing, sobbing. When, an,
0: when he said I'm an idiot. When he said I just like
3: I like that line. The I'm an idiot bit, where it's like building yeah. up for that. Like I'm 900 years old and not. For the black you know and like it's, i'm an I idiot. Die. <laughs> such a good undercut moment
4: well he's found a little bit of the humility that that the last two or three did not have right you know, especially right. 11 the oh, time, time lord victorious yeah nuts yeah yeah no i agree i i
3: point out a couple of things the minor things that i thought a i love when missy enters mary poppins style i think that was yes. hilarious so funny yes. <laughs> um two I definitely like in that moment where Clara is going to kill her and then she disappears in blue light. And it sort of suggested, I mean, it's basically said that the Brigadier kills her. But at the same time, Come on. my viewing companion, and I both went like, that was a transmat, right? She totally just teleported out of there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yep. you, can't kill her this, right? you can't kill her that fast. No. Nope. Everything's a transmat.
2: Stephen Moffat said, I think, in the uh, Doctor Who Extra about that one, that, that just Doctor Who has this long, wonderful history with the Master that at the end of all these episodes, like especially in the 80s, the Master would be unequivocally killed. He was absolutely completely yep. dead and gone. N- no question about it. And then a few episodes later, he comes back and there's no explanation except I escaped. Nope. Like, that's it. Yeah, that's the Master
3: that works that's perfect that is the kind of villain that he is like that is the cartoon you know pulp villain like that you always feel like oh you got him Nope, didn't get him sorry
1: uh so overall how do we feel about uh about this this season i i you know i i'm i've heard some glenn talked about uh a, one of the best sustained uh runs of episodes in the new season what is uh what, what do you all think
2: I agree. I think the I think the theme that that stuck out for me the most was the theme um, was kind of watching yes the doctor but Clara and watching her her lying through the entire thing which was very uncomfortable for me but was interesting to watch and then I loved how at the very end and we get that scene with them over the the coffee table and they're lying to each other all of her lies up until that point have very much been self-serving because she wants to keep living this double life and She's addicted to these adventures and she just wants to keep going. Whereas at the end, her lie is a totally 180 degrees the opposite. She is lying for a selfless reason because she wants to, you know, make the doctor happy, let him go and and live his life on the Gallifrey that she thinks he's found. And and she's willing to to suck it up and, and, and take one. You know, just for, for the sake of friendship. So I, I appreciate that they they managed to turn the lying around, which mm-hmm. had bothered me so much and, and make it kind of beautiful.
4: Oh, yeah. I, I loved watching her grow and evolve from where she was last year and to to actually having a personality and actually having agency <laughs> and actually becoming the doctor at one point or two points or three points. Um <laughs> It was just lovely. That was something a lot of
0: my Twitter friends talking about this season said that they were like, oh, Clara is finally a person. How delightful. Even if they didn't like a particular episode <laughs> or had uh-huh. whatever. And same thing with me. That's my same reaction is, is uh, she got angry with him. She pushed him. She went to the edge. She did terrible things. I mean, we didn't even talk about because we talked about that in a TV episode. Yeah. But the the um, you know the volcano scene was terrifying. I was actually oh, yeah. sobbing. Yeah. That's the one mm-hmm. that got me sobbing as it was so – Raw, And then he just walked out of it. He's like, no, it was just all a dream. You tried to fool me, I fooled you. And and then the, I'm not, oh, that was, God, that was amazing. And I don't know that the rest of the two-parter held up as well as it could have um, to that. But that, to me, struck as emotionally true to the center of the the show. And I'm not sure I've seen a moment like that, except maybe in the end of time, uh, there were some moments a little bit like that that were just so
4: raw. Well, one, one of the things that that scene really – got me thinking about was, it would have almost been more interesting if, and again, going back to the, to my theme of how every episode kind of flipped something that we were used to, it would have been really interesting if it ended up with the two of them facing off instead of him and, and Missy, the master. You know, that would have been something we hadn't seen before.
3: I, I kind of liked, uh, I mean, I enjoyed the whole season. I thought that, uh, for the most part, this was so much better quality-wise than so many of the last few seasons Uh, Like certainly on average. um, And I did like, I thought there were a number of standout episodes. I think the winner overall for me, just in terms of like this entire season is the, as we've discussed the character arcs, um, their arcs individually, both the doctor and Clara individually and their arc together. I really enjoyed the, I really enjoyed this arc incarnation of the doctor. And I I liked Matt Smith and I liked David Tennant. I liked Christopher Eccleston. I enjoyed all of them in different ways, but this feels very distinct um, I like the fact that he's petty and that he's human and that he makes mistakes and he's, you know, like all these things kind of, uh, he has less pleasant sides. And I think that's nice that we get a chance to see more of that in this Doctor because it makes him feel more fleshed out. Uh, and I I enjoyed Clara's development into a character and from, right from the start, like in that first episode, just the two of them together. Their chemistry is so much better and she has so much more agency and so much more stuff to do. Um, and the fact that she is basically treated like an equal, which I don't think most of the companions are. Um, and I think that worked worked really, really well. Uh, and, yeah, the, while the individual plot points, I think, fell, fell down at a couple points, I think, you know, overall, I would say the season is a success.
2: I think I'm going to enjoy this a lot more. Rewatching it now that I've seen where it was going. Because, and actually, as far as Clara goes, I actually liked Clara better in Series 7b, and I know I'm in the minority on that. But I, I yeah, I do. I would, because I, I judge my, as far as favorite goes, I judge my favorite companions based on the ones that I just feel emotionally connected to and the people that I would want to hang out with. I would love to hang out with Clara in Series 7b because she seemed like a real down to earth yeah. cool person. When she turns into a control freak, she becomes less of a, but uh, less of that for me. But I, I do think that she was still very interesting to watch, and I still think she's a fantastic. Uh, companion, and I do agree that she becomes an equal with the Doctor, and that is something I am definitely not used to seeing very often. I mean, it, it's happened—you get like you know your Romanos and stuff every once in a while, but but boy, it's been a while, and we—it was it was quite a ride. So I think now knowing the direction that everything was going, it will be less uncomfortable for me to watch those scenes between them, like they're they're fighting, because that's that's the kind of relationship that they have, and that's I, I know people have talked about how that's what they were trying to do with a sixth Doctor and Perry and it just never really worked out because f- for one thing they didn't have time and for another thing there was a terrible American accent in there that just didn't work so
1: <laughs> I'll remind people we did uh, we did our episode last year about season seven and um, and uh, didn't have a lot of positive thoughts about it felt like the show would kind of like I didn't its way. listen <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, uh, and and I was looking back on the, at the list of episodes from last season. And I thought, yeah, you know, there were some okay episodes, but I think I think on average this season was was much better. I, I I'm not sure whether there were any like super amazing classic episodes this season. Although I really like Flatline, and yes, I liked Listen.
2: <laughs> I I don't think that this season will ever be comfort watching for me. And and that and that's kind of what it boils down to for me as far as comparing seven seven and, and eight is that for me Doctor Who has always sort of been a comfort show. And I think it's wonderful when we get a series like this that is just really really consistently well crafted from beginning to end and challenging and stuff but that's not the kind of doctor who i'm going to go back to and watch again and again for comfort Sub- series 7 a and b is, is like that's what i'm going to return to when i just want to sit down and and enjoy something i'll be watching the power of 3
1: yeah. i i well i like that was my second favorite episode for last season so i i would uh i totally get what you're saying i think one of the things that i like about this season is that it was challenging and different and dark and trying to take doctor who in a place that it uh it hadn't been Recently, at least, if not, if not ever, then, then recently. And that, uh, I said this on the TV podcast, I think if you took all the credits away and you, I had no knowledge of who was making the show, I would assume it's a completely different production team this season You're from here. last season yeah. because yeah, yeah. it doesn't feel like the same show. And, and I give full credit to Stephen Moffat and everybody else involved in the, in the, in the show of trying to do something different because, um, somebody on Twitter and I forget exactly who it was said, what show in its eighth year, let alone its 51st year, hmm. um, does something this different with its format, and I, I, even though I don't necessarily agree with all of it, um, I, uh, you got to give them credit for doing something uh, different and shaking it up and making it feel like this is a show that can keep going and keep surprising us and not just going over the same territory over and over again. Absolutely. Even though, even though, like Erica says, I'm not sure I would consider this the comfort watching. Of some previous seasons I really <laughs> appreciate the craft the artistry the 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 work on the story uh, arcs the Moffat trying to go against some of his tendencies and do things a little bit differently even if it didn't always work I really love the fact that it was trying and mostly more often than not succeeding um, so that th- that's why I think uh, it was a creative success and also I love that they were trying to do something different oh, yeah. uh, from from the previous seasons.
4: I mean, I've already gone back and rewatched episodes from this series more than I've watched oh. anything from Seven, uh, with the exception of of the anniversary episode. Um, mm-hmm. That one I've seen a few oh, times. Oh man! But so but good. you know, yeah, I will I will happily watch Robot again. I will happily watch <laughs> uh, Flatliners and Mummy and and the Caretaker. Yeah. You know, and listen. Um, I may not watch all of them again, but. I just I
1: loved those episodes
4: where you know most of flatliners.
1: The last- by the way, is Kiefer Sutherland and Ke- Kevin Bacon? <laughs>
4: Thank you. You mean flatline in a, in a Doctor yeah. and Julia well, Roberts, which is yeah. amazing.
1: Yeah, it's uh, you know, that was pretty good, <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um. So before we <laughs> uh, before we go, because uh, we've spent a lot of time on this, which is great, but uh, we do need to go. Uh, Peter Capaldi, he's been the Doctor. We should talk about him a little bit. Uh, he isn't he great? And, and and do we feel like he's the Doctor? I mean, I, I isn't he great? Let's yes. just agree with me. Yes. <laughs> yep.
4: Yeah, he's I, great. yep. I <laughs> yep. would love it Lone. if he just stayed until he was tired of it. I hope he never gets tired of it.
2: Actually, I, I can't remember if it was on Verity or just amongst friends. Somebody was saying that they, they hoped that he sticks around like as long as Tom Baker did for like seven years, until he just doesn't give a crap anymore and starts mm. just, you know, doing the Tom Baker thing and acting however he wants and not <laughs> trying, because I would
3: love to see what that looks like. Are per- you sure he's not doing that already? <laughs> 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 I don't I kind of feel like there's not a lot of liberties left for him to take. I don't know. It's just yeah. the, the eyebrows, man. the eyebrows.
1: eyebrows. Oh, the eyebrows. No, it's great. I I I uh I don't know where they go from here. I think that's the next question is is a uh, Well, Jason, I'm, I'm glad, glad you mentioned special. that.
3: Yeah, because we mess we did leave out the last the last 5 seconds or so of the show. Mm-hmm.
1: yes so so the credits roll and if you turned off the tv you missed <laughs> a a certain gentleman
2: who does that what kind of heathens i know i know uh,
1: i what
3: a great mo- i did like that they broke out of the credits though yes like, oh that's yes. yeah whoa, whoa. <laughs> and
0: like, then they showed a credit for nick frost it was perfect yes jack Frost, nick. nick frost love, santa claus
3: i love nick frost so much and so yeah. good
1: and he mm-hmm. says, "You know, you, you, you can't, can't end it end like it this." this I mean, he's talking yep. to to the audience and the doctor at the same time, um, and so he's going to be Santa Claus in the Christmas special, which is hilarious.
2: Mm-hmm. Although I saw the uh, the clip they released for Children in Need, which d- does not look hilarious; it looks no. tense.
1: <laughs> I don't know if Jenna Coleman is is uh, is coming back next year, but we know Peter Capaldi's coming.
2: Yeah, back. I, there are there are lots of rumors. She's she's appearing at a couple of conventions next year, which usually is a thing that doesn't happen if, yes. if actors are still in the show. But I'm, you know, Stephen Moffat is such a cagey bastard that I wonder. <laughs> if, I wonder if he's just sending her out to do these conventions, full well knowing that she's not leaving the show just to troll fandom because I think that's his favorite pastime. He does yeah.
1: like that. Well, he's a fan. He totally gets it. Right. I mean, yeah. that's, the, oh, that's yeah. what makes him dangerous, is that he knows all of our tricks, <laughs> because he's one of us, and he uses our oh, yeah. his powers against us. That's his diabolical plan. Oh, Stephen Moffat. Um, <laughs> is Stephen Moffat coming back? I guess he is.
2: Uh, oh, yeah. he He was talking about the plans he had for right. Series 9 at the beginning of Series 8. So... <laughs> all right they've already got writers lined up by some writers lined up for next year well, i'll
1: tell you who's not probably not coming back is danny pink zing oh Hello. sorry oh. Danny pink. too soon too soon too. too soon okay so here's what's going to happen now um we're going to uh wait very patiently by our televisions for another month and then there will be one more new episode of doctor who to tide us over until the end of next summer that will be on and Christmas. then after
2: that I really hope I really hope that the doctor's you know, his his revelation that he's just an idiot with the box. I, I hope that we do get that sort of thing. Yeah. Maybe not a big heavy arc throughout the entire next series. Maybe we just get to see the doctor going on adventures and having yes. fun in space. Yes. And maybe
3: there's some I Gallifrey spotting more in there too.
1: No more yeah. arcs. Some, gal- some Gallifrey you're, spotting. You're gonna have arcs. Sorry guys. There, there's always gonna yeah. be an arc. There's always gonna be an arc. It's serial drama. So if you if you enjoy um listening to us talk about doctor who well first off if you enjoyed listening to people talking about doctor who you should listen to verity erica's podcast with many. yes we are people you are people with interesting and smart things to say about doctor who no less and are devoted entirely to doctor who if you would like to um to uh Listen to more of what we've said about Doctor Who this year. Once again, tune into the TV podcast. You can also go to com slash work slash Doctor Dash Who and see a list of all the Doctor Who episodes we've ever done on The Incomparable or the spinoff episodes. There's even a podcast feed. You can subscribe to just our Doctor Who episodes if you're that crazy wow. about Doctor Who. I know. it's that's pretty far out there. But if you do that, you'll also hear our uh, Christmas episode, which will be on the TV podcast. We will we will convene again at Christmas and talk about the Christmas special. But until then, I would like to close the TARDIS now. Close up the the, the little tiny TARDIS with a hand sticking out of it, and thank my guests, Glenn Fleischman, Thank you for confusing me with all of your many references. As always, it's
0: it, it's a bit of timesis to meet you, Jason. That,
1: um, and I that's good and or bad. Dan Morin, thank you for being here. It was a distinct pleasure. I'm glad it was distinct. Uh, David Lore, thank you. Group hug. <laughs> <laughs> I don't trust it. <laughs> no, no. The tr- the hug is a lie. The hug is a lie. Get away. And Erica Ensign, thank you so much for bringing your uh, depth of Doctor Who knowledge to us uh, savages here in the I- incomparable.
2: Uh, thank you for having me. I tried. I tried not to take any tangents that went too deep.
1: Mm. There are many other podcasts where you could go as deep as you like with this. Yep, <laughs> so true. And uh, that's it. Until Christmas, when we'll talk on the TV podcast about Doctor Who, and until next year, when we wrap up next season. Ah! For now, we have to say goodbye. So, thank you to everybody out there for listening to the Uncomfortable. We will see you next time.
0: Wait a minute, Jason. We can't end it like this. We can't. All right. Yes, I mean, actually, it works
1: we can't. No, me.
2: Glenn's not okay, and neither are you. Glenn's.
0: Goodbye.
1: <laughs> well, that's Glenn's very not true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if we're waiting for Glenn to be okay, <laughs> we will be here Glenn a long okay. time. And scene, <laughs> yes. I don't get it.